Seated. Pray with me, please. Dear God, we thank you for your word and your truth that we're able to understand and know you. What a great gift. Lord, I pray that as the words that I share, that they would be words of truth. Anything that is uh, strays from your truth would be quickly forgotten. And that our hearts would be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit to recognize and know the great um, cost that your son paid for us. Paying the price for our sins. Open our ears and our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So there's times in our lives where that we put hope in different things. And some of them are big and some of them are small. And what, what I'm going to say, I, I hope it, you don't think I'm minimizing salvation and the promise of Jesus. But I think it's one of the better parallels that we can see in a small scope compared to what people were looking for in the coming of Jesus Christ. Every year, depending upon the time of year, we put hope in certain people, certain people that represent our favorite sports team, whether it's a college football or basketball team, or even the NFL or baseball or basketball, whatever it is, there's always that hope that you've got the right team, that you're going to avoid injury, whatever it might be, and things are going to work out well. And I'm just going to look at the NFL, not, not expansively, and if you want to talk more about this, I could talk for hours, but... You know, you look through the history just recently of some of these teams that have put their hope in the draft. In 1990, the Indianapolis Colts were going to be transformed by a guy named Jeff George. He didn't make it very far. Or just a year later, Todd Marinovich. Anyone remember that name? It's taken by the Oakland Raiders. And the guy that was taken a few drafts later was a guy you maybe heard of a little bit more, Brett Favre. Yeah, he did pretty well. Or in 1998, one of the big questions for the draft people was, who are we going to choose, Ryan Leaf, who's taken number two, or the people who picked number one did a pretty good job. They got a guy named, anyone remember? Peyton Manning, Manning, exactly. Yeah, they made a choice there. Or here for a a little bit more local flair, in 2001, in the Dallas Cowboys' attempt to replace Troy Aikman, who did they pick? If you were at the 605, you can't answer. Anyone remember? Quincy Carter, a footnote to history. Or if you're a Texas Longhorn, all I have to say is Vince Young, and uh, you remember the hope that the Titans had. But this is the NFL and versus life. And one of the things that happens sometimes, though, at the NFL draft is the New York Jets that have been pretty bad for a long time, their fans go to the draft at Radio City Music Hall, and no matter who they pick, the New York Jets select Mark Sanchez, and the fans respond with, What a great response. And you ask those people, why do you respond with a boo when they tell your pick? They say, because if they want us to cheer for them, they've got to earn it. And some players never get beyond that boo. We put a lot of time, money, and effort into our sports teams and and a lot of emotions. But think about the Jews 2,000 years ago before Jesus came. They've been waiting since the promise of Abraham for about 2,000 years for this Messiah that was promised. Hope that someone would come and reign as David to to take away their sins, to be their savior. And there were various times that um, history will point to various messiahs that there was hope for for the Jews. There was Judas Maccabees. He was a leader of a successful revolt against the Antiochs, Antiochs, 
secluded member, empire, excuse me. Many considered him the Messiah because he freed the Jews from foreign domination. And he fulfilled many of the parallels prophesied in Daniel. But he wasn't the Messiah. There's a man named Simon of Perea. He was a formal, former slave who rebelled, was hoped to be the Messiah, but was eventually killed by the Romans. Another man, by the, another group of brothers, and one in particular, Anthrongs, um, a leader of a rebellion against Herod. And after the Romans, um, and the Romans and proclaimed him as Messiah, but then he was eventually defeated with his brothers. Hope, that right person who's going to fulfill things. And then Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was born, who had done miraculous signs, who had really started to revolutionize the world and culture and so many things. Here it was, Good Friday. And was he just another footnote to history? Another person that seemed to be the Messiah but didn't quite do it. Now, when we sit at this side of history, we know that he's not just a footnote. He is the, the, the main character, the title, the, the hero, and the rescuer that we've been looking for in the Old Testament. But we also look and see what he did after he left, after he went back to heaven. He used his disciples as he did on earth when he was here, but then also the disciples continued to go on and serve. And, and my mind wonders, and I think this is the great thing about the Bible, is that there's some great facts, some great truths that we get in Scripture. And there's some pieces that we don't quite know, and our minds can wander, and, uh, and not wander, but wonder, what was going on or what happened? And, and I, I like to kind of think sometimes of, you know, what was going on when the, disciple, or when the disciples were being called by Jesus. Are the angels, you know, up in heaven or around, you know, walking around just where you can't see them or maybe we just don't know they're angels. But, you know, what was happening when Jesus was here and he's beginning to call the disciples? I think those, uh, you know, how much the angels know what's going to happen or, you know, what's their foreknowledge. But just imagine, here's Jesus. It didn't really happen, but I think it could have happened. If Jesus is walking along and he's getting ready to call disciples and the angel like, man, I wonder who's going to pick. I wonder who's going to pick. And he looks down and he says, I'm going to pick... Matthew. And the disciples are like, oh, man, he's a tax collector. Don't you know that? People don't like him. Bad pick, Jesus. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Or he goes and he says, you know, let's pick um, that guy, Bartholomew. Oh, don't you know Bartholomew? We see the stuff he does. He's not a good choice. Or then he goes to Peter and Peter Boo, might be the response. Man, that guy is like just, you know, wired so fast. But man, he makes like irrational decisions. He's going all the time. Bad pick, Jesus. But the reality is when we look at scripture and read about the disciples that Jesus picked as his disciples, when we look at the people throughout even the Old Testament that God called to be servants, to be prophets, he chose broken, messed up, sinful people to carry on his message. And you know why he did that? That's all he has to choose from. (laughs) You look at him today. He's choosing broken, (laughs) sinful, messed up people because that's all of us. That's all of us. I love Peter. I love so many of the disciples, but Peter's a great one because as we're going to hear in just a little bit, he's the one who denied Jesus. Denied Jesus right before he um, was crucified. And it wasn't just some little 
closet where, you know, it was just a few private people. No, it was up in the public square where everybody heard and saw his denial. And then Jesus only, I mean, Peter only to see and realize that the guy he's been following, denied, is now being crucified. And so this story that I'm going to share with you from the scripture from Acts, and I know we're getting a little bit later, but I think it needs some, some uh, understanding of where we're going. Not very far, but where we're going is after um, Jesus has risen, ascended, and Peter and John are doing ministry. They walk into a place, uh, uh, the portico of Solomon's, and there they see a beggar, a man who's calling out to them, heal us, heal me. And um, Peter says, you know, what do I have to offer you? And he says the same words that Jesus said, rise up and walk. And he did. So here's the response to this, this miraculous healing that Peter and John have been a part of, as we read from Acts 3, 11 through 16. And it says, while he, he the beggar, and now the healed beggar, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Amen. As we read about this healing, he, Peter goes back, gets historical with him. Why are you wondering? Why are you curious about this healing that's happened? Don't you know this is the same healing that's happening because of Jesus, the man that was crucified and dead and buried and risen from the dead? It's the same power of Jesus. Peter is quick, very quick, to not give any of the glory, not any of the attention for what has happened to himself or to John, but to give it all back to God. It's a great lesson, a great reality of us in our lives, and, but also to wonder where it is that God is working after our healing. And again, there's a, a part of me that when I get to heaven, there's a lot of people I want to talk to, and they're probably going to be busy, but I, I'm excited about um, meeting some of the people who have been healed by Jesus, who are healed in different miraculous ways. Because I think sometimes we have this idea in our minds that Jesus healed the beggar, and he lived happily ever after. Jesus healed the woman who had this, um, this flow of blood, and she lived happily ever after. Not, I'm not saying that, because I think the reality is that I'd go up to that beggar and say, so after you'd been healed for, you know, from your, your, um, your, your infirmity, from being paralyzed, how'd you get a job? You know, where did you go and say, I would like to have a job? What are, you, what are your skills? Begging? What are you good at? Staying in one place all day long? Do you have any other skills? Not really. I mean, you know, how did, what was life like after you'd been healed? 
or this leper, you know, who'd maybe been healed. There's those that were healed. And, you know, how, how was life after? Man, it was tough. No one would believe me. For years, I'd been a leper, and I tried to convince them. I didn't have any friends. They all pushed me away. And we hear stories like that of people today, of whether it's alcoholism or, you know, um, just being a jerk, whatever it is in our lives, that we make changes through Christ, and we still have those things that haunt us, still those things that come back and get us. And sometimes we, as people within the church, unfortunately say, well, you need to pray harder. You need to have a, a, a better faith. And yeah, Jesus' is cleansing blood is enough to cover all of our sins. That's the great news. But where do we go? Where do we go when we continue to have those challenges? That's why I love Peter. That's why I love Peter, because he had done one of the bad things, denied Jesus in a public way. And yet that didn't define his ministry. That didn't define Peter for his life, because after Jesus came back, who did he restore? Peter. Who do we read about carrying on the church and, and still having a wonderful ministry after Jesus gone back? It was Peter. Peter falls under that same category of bad, weak, sinful people that God used. We look at David, a murderer, an adulterer, but God used him to do wonderful things. Saul, one of the murderers, one of the, the, the highest murderers became Paul. God used him. Stuart Smith, your pastor, one of your pastors. I'm sure that there's people that when they see that I'm a pastor on Facebook say, what? No way. And the angels, when they said, you're going to let him be a pastor? Come on. Not just for pastors, but for all of us. The great news is that we're not defined by how good or bad we are. We're defined by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Do we boast in anything? If we do, it should be Jesus Christ. As a church, so often we boast about what we are doing. And there's some great things that we are doing through the power of Christ. But sometimes we put out our perfection more than our pains, more than reality. Curtis said recently that the world doesn't need our competence. They need our confession. They need our place to admit where we're wrong, where we're broken, where we've been healed. Martin Luther said one time that suffering and failure made me into a better theologian than any other book that I've read. How many people that you know that have a deep, strong faith in Jesus Christ also have a powerful story of where God has rescued them from a difficult time, changed their life in significant ways? And they don't talk about how perfect they are. They talk about the power of the cross, the power of Christ to transform their lives. As we are here on Good Friday and remembering that it is good, the fact that we can stand before each other, before God, and proclaim that it is finished is because of what he did, what he did on the cross. Yes, we respond to his grace with our love and our affection towards him, but it's not to earn his love. His love is for us, and it is demonstrated on Good Friday and conquered on Easter. Pray with me, please. Dear God, we thank you that our failures do not separate us from you. It's our salvation. Our failures are there. And because of your love and our confession, our accepting you as our Lord and Savior, 
You don't see us as we um, should, as, as others see us. You see us in light of your son, Jesus, his death and resurrection. Dear God, as we are here and we know our failures, we know our shortcomings, and uh, we are bogged down by those, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, um, to be honest with ourselves, to honest to your healing, honest to where it is that our lives can be changed and transformed. We pray, Lord, that you would help us daily to walk in your truth, to live out of grace, live out of your love for those that we are around. And as we point to things in our lives, the way that you work in our lives, that we would truly give you the credit and not for ourselves. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we uh, begin the tenebrae time, we have uh, two great readers, and Howard is also one of our great readers, but... uh, um, Curry Price and um, Tiffany Clemens will be doing some of our scripture reading. So, Tiffany.